Lord, we're grateful. Grateful to be in your house, grateful to be in your presence. Just thankful to be able to lift our voices and sing to you. Uh, Lord, that song just continues to ring in my head. We're just in awe of you, and we owe all to you. And so thank you for all that you've done already this day. Uh, Lord, many of the things that you've done for us, we didn't even notice. And so we want to say thank you for keeping us safe, protecting us. We pray for our loved ones. We pray for our families. I pray for the marriages in this church, God. I pray that they would be strong examples in this world that we live in, uh, where the world just kind of throws away marriage so easily and so quickly because things don't go their way. But Lord, we know there's great fruit in working through uh, differences in life. And so we know that, God, you can help us. And so I pray for each and every one here. Whatever their needs are, Lord, I know that you're aware of them. And I pray that you would continue to provide for them. And that at the end of the day, Lord, we'll give you glory for the work that you do. So be with us during this time. We want to be more like Jesus, and that's why we come. So let the word come alive to us and let it transform us. For it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning I want to talk about, or Paul, really the Apostle Paul wants to talk about holiness. And when I say the word holiness, I wonder what comes to your mind. Holiness is a word that can make us kind of feel uneasy. As many times, do we feel holy? You know, do we, sometimes there's things we do and we know, that wasn't very holy, you know. Or sometimes we get lucky and and God uses us and we say, wow, God used uh, our walk with him to impact the life of another. But holiness is something that God calls us to. And that's something I believe the Apostle Paul is going to stress here in these last verses of chapter 6 is a call to holiness. And that's what I've entitled today's message, a call to holiness. That's as believers, we're called to be holy. And here's the great part. Because of your relationship with Jesus... He makes you holy, and he continues to make you holy. So it's a process. We we don't get there immediately, but hopefully over the years of your walk with the Lord, as you've surrendered your life to him, you've seen changes happen in your life, and you've become more holy. We know God is a holy God, purely holy. And and sin can't even be uh, anywhere around him. And so when God was establishing his relationship with the Israelites... He told Moses this in Leviticus 19, verse 2. He said, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So there's a call to holiness right from the beginning from God. God says, I am holy. That's who I am. And you shall be holy. So and we'll see it again, even as we're looking at the text uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll see again that there's a process of holiness that happens in the life of a believer. Hopefully the more you grow in the Lord, the more holy you become. And again, it's a process that he does. God was calling his people to a relationship with himself. And the Hebrew word for holiness is a word that highlights something that is sacred, Okay, something that is set apart. It's in complete contrast to everything else in the world that is common and profane. And so God is, again, pure holiness. The adjective holy refers to God and what belongs to him. So in a sense, if you belong to him, you are holy because of what Christ has done. In fact, in the scriptures, God is called by a title, the Holy One of Israel. 
Jesus is called the Holy One of God. And we as believers who have given our lives to Jesus Christ are called saints. So there's a change that happens the moment we accept Christ. There's a change that happens to our eternal destination, certainly. But then the process begins of transforming us into men and women that love God and are called according to his purposes and to be used by him. So being holy is something that Jesus does when you accept him. He brings, he connects a holy God to a sinful man and that's what Jesus does. Jesus is the one that makes you and me holy. But it's our job to continue that process of holiness. I would hope, you know, if you think back to the day you gave your life to the Lord, to, for me, there's a distinction between the Rob before I got saved and the Rob after I got saved. The change happened. It was powerful. Um, many will say I wasn't an awful person, but boy, my language changed, my thoughts changed, my desires changed. There was a spiritual work that God did immediately in my life. Now, it wasn't complete. It's a process, right? It's a process that we continue to go through to this day and a process that we will continue until that day he takes us home. But hopefully through this walk with the Lord, you know, even through worship, even through reading the word, even through that time of communion with him in prayer and talking to God, there's a process that continues to get our minds off of the things of the world and on the things of God and the things that are holy. Every one of us who stands before God will stand before him holy because of what Jesus has done. None of us, no human being could ever stand before God and say, I'm holy of myself. It's only something that Jesus did upon the cross. And it's a call for us, guys. In the days that we're living, people need to see people that are living a life of holiness, a life that's committed to God that's not ashamed to say I'm a follower of Jesus, that's not afraid to say I believe what the Bible says because we have a Holy Spirit that lives in us, that has been given to us to help us in this process. So we must lean on that. This call to holiness is something that Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to do. As you remember, as we've been going through these first six chapters, Paul's been reminding them that his love for them, his care for them, they were looking at you know, the, the, the difficulties of his life and they were applying that to difficulties in his ministry. Where Paul saw it, the difficulties in his life were evidences of his ministry. And so he's calling them to focus on God and understand his pure heart. So look with me in verse 11. We talked about it the last time I spoke. Uh, we talked about verses 11 through 13, but I want to, again, for context. He says, O Corinthians... We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your, your own affections. Not in return for, no, excuse me, now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. And verse 14 is where we start today. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? 
Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Certainly a powerful area of text as we look at it this morning, where the Apostle Paul again encouraging this church to make the change, to be transformed in their thinking, to understand Paul's heart. Again, in the verses 11 through 13, you know, we're open. Paul's saying, I'm open, I'm an open book. My life is open, I'm, I'm genuine. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to deceive anyone. And he's saying, Corinthians, I want you to be open as well. And in order for that openness, there has to be this separation from the world. Because what the Corinthians were doing, they were intermingling with unbelievers. And they were being changed by them more than they were changing them. And so for that reason, Paul says in verse 14, in a very popular verse, do not be unevenly yoked together with unbelievers. We as believers have to be very careful that we stay separate from the things of the world, from the influences of the world. In fact, we should be influencing the world more than the world influences us. Wouldn't you agree? Can we do that in our own strength? Absolutely not. But with God's help, we can make a difference. We look at the world today and we watch the news and we get disgusted with the things that are happening and the programs that we see on TV and just all the things that we're having to deal with as believers that do not agree with the holiness of God. And it's, it's just everywhere around us. I don't know if you get frustrated with it. I certainly do. And as I look out at the world and see that there's snow in South Florida, I know that, or South Florida, <laughs> South California, I know the Lord's coming back soon. <laughs> right? What's that term? When hell freezes over? Well, <laughs> now nah, you guys thought that. I didn't. But we look out at the world and we see the evidence of the world the, the, the labor pains of the world. We see the things that are happening in the world, the, the weather changes and the things that are happening. And we just realize, I realize, boy, the Lord's gotta be coming back soon. And we, we and I know, I mean, if you, if you look at any church history and stuff, every believer thought the Lord was coming back in their lifetime. But isn't that the way we're supposed to live our lives anyway? <laughs> but if, if, if it wasn't back then, it's certainly closer now than ever. So we must be ready for the return of God. And God, when he returns, he wants to find a holy church, one that isn't living in compromise, one that isn't you know, accepting the things of the world and being like the world. I think one of the greatest tragedies in the church today is the church trying to be like the world so that they can be accepting. Mm. No, we need to be holy. And so Paul says, do not be unevenly yoked together with unbelievers. The Corinthians had, in fact, joined themselves with unbelievers. And this is what was causing the rift between them and the Apostle Paul. They were being affected by the world. And it was, it was wreaking havoc upon their relationship. 
The idea of don't be evenly yoked uh, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 22. You read it here with me. It says this, you shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. And verse 10 really is the, the main thrust of this idea. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. The principle that God set forth is don't put two dissimilar animals working together. God prohibited this, in fact. Two different types of animals. The verse speaks of joining two things that are not supposed to be joined. And for the most part, this verse is applied to a believing person marrying an unbelieving person. And you would think, you would think that wouldn't happen, or maybe I think that shouldn't, wouldn't happen, but it happens a lot. It happens a lot when maybe you have friends that, that they want to get married to an unbeliever, and they think it's going to be okay, oh, don't worry, and maybe you even heard this, I'm going to lead them to the Lord. Try to encourage your friend to lead them to the Lord first, then get married. Don't put the cart before the horse. God in his wisdom says, listen, don't put two things that are not similar together. There cannot be this relationship. I mean, certainly that applies to marriage, but it applies to all things. We shouldn't be in business with unbelievers. We shouldn't necessarily you know, spend a whole lot of time with unbelievers unless we're trying to lead them to the Lord. Again, we're in the world. We're supposed to be making a difference in unbelievers' lives, but we're supposed to be the ones that are being the influence, not the other way around. So be careful in the relationships that you have. Make sure that you are the one that's making the difference. Romans 12, 2 says this, Paul said it, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will for your life is for you to live holy. God's will for your life is for you to make a difference in people's lives. When we yoke ourselves with unbelievers, at some point, you're gonna be challenged to compromise in your relationship. It's just, not, it's just the way it is. If it's in business, <laughs> you know, maybe you're in business with an unbeliever and you wanna make a donation to a charity and that your partner may not wanna do that. In a marriage, maybe you're married to an unbeliever and you want to send your children to a Christian school and maybe your spouse would not want that. So there was going to be some type of compromise there. So here's the thing, because I know there's some people in this room that are married to unbelievers. Paul said very clearly before, you don't get divorced for that. You just continue to pray for your unbelieving spouse. But don't start a new relationship if you're not evenly yoked. If you truly want to live for God, you want to be connected to someone that will help you in your relationship, help you in your partnership. And that, that's something we have to only do with a believer. I'll say it. Marriage is a challenge in and of itself, even with a believer and a believer. How much harder it must be with an unbeliever. And, and we must pray that they come to know the Lord. And Paul tells us, live in such a way that they see your life and want to become a believer. There's people in this room who I'm praying for their spouse to accept Christ. 
And we see, we see the evidence of them drawing closer to the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing. But I encourage you younger people, you grow in your relationship to God in such a strong way and let God bring that believing spouse into your life because I'm telling you, you'll be much more blessed. And Paul says it here, God is saying, don't be unevenly yoked to unbelievers. And then he gives these kind of contrasts, which I think are very fascinating. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Clearly, (laughs) doing what's right and doing what's wrong. Why would you have those two things together? What communion has light with darkness? The two cannot exist together. And what accord has Christ with Belial, which is Satan or things of the devil or evil? Again, there's no correlation there. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And again, Paul is saying, in a relationship, a close relationship. Now, you may have friends that are unbelievers. That's fine. But again, make sure they're not bringing you to a place of compromise. You are making the impact in that relationship. And then he says in the first half of verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? We read a verse like that and we think, oh, that's just old school. And certainly it is. In the days of this letter and the time of the Corinthians, there were a lot of (laughs) pagan temples around. And Paul's saying, what fellowship has the temple of God with idols, with non-gods? There should be no connection there. And this is what was, again, affecting the church of Corinth. They were connecting themselves with other temples, with other uh, religions, if you will. And it was affecting them. And it was making a difference. And Paul was trying to step in and say, don't do this. It's not the right thing to do. And so think about your relationships in your life. Think about where there may be compromise. Think about where you're ashamed to say you're a Christian or ashamed to take a stand for the things of the Lord. And let me say this. God may be using you to make a change in someone else's life. So just don't abandon every ungodly relationship that you have, but make sure that you're being filled with the Spirit and being used by God to make a difference. Take a stand. Speak up. I believe opportunities are before us all the time to help people come to a relationship with God or a deeper relationship or understanding with the creator of the universe. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves them. So look at those relationships. Be sure that they're not affecting you because I think Paul says very clearly, don't be unevenly yoked because I think in the days that we live, there's a lot of compromise and there's a lot of like, well, it's okay for me to do it because I'm a strong believer. I've heard that so many times. And it, yes, on the forefront, it seems in it like it makes sense, but God's very clear about it. Don't do it. Don't do it. The effects will not be well. The second half of verse 16, Paul says, for you are the temple of the living God. Now, you can circle the word you there. It's a better translation that says that's, it's we. So this verse should say, say, for we are the temple of the living God. Paul's saying the church in itself. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, we see Paul say this. It says, flee sexual immorality, excuse me, uh, 
every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the two things that Paul is talking about, one is talking about the individual. You have been given the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. Therefore, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit personally. But here in, chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he's talking about the church. He's talking about the gathering together of the saints. He's, he's saying when the body comes together, the body of believers, that the Holy Spirit dwells here. And it's an opportunity for everyone to do their part in the body. And so Paul is saying, you are the temple of the living God, church of Corinth, church of Calvary, church, true church, any true church, you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we have an opportunity every Sunday morning or any time we gather as believers for God to do an amazing work in our midst. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but have you heard of the Jesus Revolution? And it's a, it's a, um, it's a movie about the uh, Pastor Greg Laurie and his transformation in the Calvary Chapel movement. And I look at the, I, I saw the movie and I was so moved by it um, because I saw the culture that Calvary was birthed under, Pastor Chuck, in that time. I saw a, a society that was at odds, people that were searching, looking for satisfaction, looking for gratification, looking for the truth and not finding it until, they, until God showed up and drew, drew them to a place called Calvary Chapel that taught the word of God and loved on the unlovable. Is it much dissimilar than the world that we're living in today? I am so thankful for the heritage of Calvary Chapel. But that was just God working through a man Pastor Chuck Smith, who had a heart for God and drew in the unlovables, if you will, and transformed their lives. And some of us in this room are those very people that were transformed. Were you one of them? Were you one of those people that was so lost until God found you? That's the heart of this idea of you are the temple of God. This is an opportunity for us to come together in the midst and in the presence of God and be used by him. You know, you've heard about the Asbury revival. And I'm so tired of listening to people critique this revival. Listen, call it a revival. Call it a move of God. Call it a group of people that just want to worship for hours and days. Whatever it is. I don't know about you, but I think in my life I could use a little bit more worshiping of the Lord. I mean, people want to critique it. Well, it's not a real revival if the gospel is, if people aren't repenting. And it's like, why do people want to tear things apart? What, the bottom line is this. You belong to God. You're a child of God. You are a part of the body. And that part of the body, God wants to use you. So, Make yourself available because that's what I think Calvary Chapel was all about. It was about Chuck and th that group that were making themselves available to be used by God. 
And I think we have to be very careful and open to the opportunities that God wants to use us in a genuine way. And I think that's what I walked away from it, watching that movie, just like, Lord, do a work in my life today. Do, do something in my life today that I know it's you. I, I mean, you, if you watch the movie, you could even tell Chuck was fighting it at first, you know, he was struggling with this whole thing, that whole idea. But once he opened up to it, he realized this was a move of God. And so, could we use a revival? Absolutely. Could we use the return of Christ? You bet. But let's let God use us first. Let's see what God might do to us. And I'm not saying it has to be this full-blown revival thing. It needs to be a revival in my heart that when I'm sitting next to someone at a coffee shop that I ask them if they know Jesus. I mean, it was just that pure and that genuine. It was that simple. God doesn't make it complicated. Aren't you glad you don't need a theological degree to lead someone to Christ? You know what you need? You need your life. Your life that was changed by God is evidence for people to see. That's what happened for me. I saw people that were walking for the, with the Lord and I wanted to be a part of that. And so I invited Christ into my life and it was the best decision of my life. You are, we are, the temple of the living God as God has said. Look at this. I will dwell in them. Look at all the things that God will do. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It means that God is in our midst. God is at work. I love the fact in verse 18 that he says, I will be a father to you. If we truly understood how much God is a father to us, that would be enough because he's a loving father. And I know for some of us in this room, we didn't have loving fathers growing up. And we, we transfer that, that experience to what God might be to you. And he's not that way. If you truly know him to be a father, a loving father, you'll see him do amazing things in your life. You'll see him bring peace into your heart. You'll know that he is always there for you always there in whatever you are going through, he is right there for you. And, and what does he ask? I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Because what? Because we're separate. Come out from among them. That word them means the world. And be separate, says the Lord. Be different. Be a Jesus freak. Be a Bible thumper. Stand out in the crowd. Well, my friends don't like it when I talk about Jesus. Hmm. Maybe they need to hear more about Jesus until they come to a place where they want to talk about Jesus. Because I think that's what Paul and I think that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to come out and to be separate. Alan Redpath said this, it is not a question 
simply of trying to empty your heart and life of every worldly desire. That would be impossible. It is, a, it is rather opening your heart wide to all the love of God in Christ and letting that love sweep through you and exercise its expulsive power till your heart is filled with the love of God. Because I don't know about you, but when I read that there at the, in the middle, towards the end of verse 17, do not touch what is unclean. Do not, don't, come out from among them, be separate, says, or do not touch what is unclean. Immediately I start thinking about the things in my life that are still worldly, that are still fleshly. And I'm like, Lord, I, sometimes I struggle with these things. And the way we overcome the struggles of the flesh or the lust of the flesh is by seeking the things of the spirit. Paul said it to the Galatians. He says, walk in the spirit and you will not satisfy the lust of the flesh. Notice the order. Walk in the spirit. You won't satisfy the lust of the flesh. Paul doesn't say fight the lust of the flesh and then you're gonna walk in the spirit. No, he's saying walk in the spirit. Motivate yourself to live spiritually, to think spiritually. You know, do a morning devotion, read the scriptures, be ready for the day, be ready to share that with someone. In fact, make it your quest for that day. I'm gonna read my devotion and I'm gonna share that with at least one person today. That's walking in the spirit. That's, and watch what God does. Watch the opportunities that open up. You'll, you're gonna, you'll, you'll do it every day because you're gonna wanna see God work in your life. And when you're walking in the spirit, the things of the flesh, the things of the the world, they fall away. That's the difference. Too many Christians, I think, too many churches are telling people, don't do that, don't do this, don't do this. When people just need to love God, excuse me, love the things of God, and you'll see God work in your life. We are called to be different. Again, verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, be different. Says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. This morning as I was going through this text, I, I noticed all the I wills in verses 16 through 18. How God will do this, how God will dwell, how God will be, or he will be their God. I will, I will be a father and you shall be sons and daughters. It's a process. As children of God, it's a process that we go through to be more Christ-like, to be more godly, to think more like God, and to think less about the things of the world. God wants us to be holy, and he wants to be our father. Finally, look at verse one in chapter seven. He says, therefore, having these promises, I want to underlight that. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Even though it says verse one of chapter seven, this really goes with what Paul just said in these last final verses. Again, therefore, having these promises, the promises are in verses 18, or 16, 17, and 18. I will dwell among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. All those promises. Paul says, listen, because of those things, therefore, because of those promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Now, 
Sins of the flesh, I don't think we really need to talk about it. I mean, I think we know what they are. They're the things of the world. Uh, they're the things that, that get in our way. Um, unholy lusts, appetites, drunkenness, gluttony, excessive affections. The things that the world embraces as acceptable. We're seeing that more and more. Don't you see it? More and more, the world is saying the things God says are unholy are not acceptable. When I was a young kid, and I'm ashamed to even share this story. First time I ever got drunk. You know, going out to have a good time. Me and my friends gonna go out and party. My friends, after I was drunk, continued to pour the bottle of liquor down my throat as after I was passed out. And it's like, that's what the world thinks is acceptable. That's what the world thinks is okay. That's what the world thinks is fun. We see it everywhere around us. Uh, when, my, when I was traveling over to Aspen, early Saturday morning, early flight. What was my flight? Seven o'clock, I think. Walking through uh, Nashville Airport, watching people in the restaurant already drinking Bloody Marys, already drinking mimosas, or as like, wow, that's what the, that's fun. That's normal for the world. It's different for us as believers. Listen, I'm not saying you can't drink. But when the world says getting drunk is fun, and man, I can't wait to party tonight and, and have a hangover tomorrow, man, you would think one hangover would be enough to say, I'm never doing that again. But the world accepts it. We have to fight those temptations and I know even in the church today it's accepted and I think it's a very sad state of affairs if we're really talking about being holy if we're really talking about seeing God move in our midst we've got to set aside the things of the flesh we've got to do things in moderate there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine at dinner there's nothing wrong with having a beer it's okay to do but it's drunkenness that is the sinful part. But be careful. You've probably heard, if you've been around me long enough, you've heard me say this before. I've never heard anyone say, man, my life has never been better since I started drinking. Never. Usually my wife is a disaster since I started drinking. And I just, I don't understand why it's still something that people attach fun to or it's become the norm. And I know I'm on a soapbox right now, but my brother was an alcoholic, so I, I really have a hard time with watching people drink because I just never see it turn out good. It's usually ending up someone in rehab trying to get rid of it. Who wants that? You know what I want? I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Right? Be drunk with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, not with the things of this world because I believe the enemy is tricking the church to think it's okay to do these things now. Even though God said it's not. It's okay now, it's different. You know, let's live holy lives. Holy lives, seeking the things of God. Habakkuk 2.15, if you wanna write it down. I just wrote it, it says, woe to him who, gets, who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk. My God said it right in the beginning. <laughs> Woe to him that does that. 
Woe to my friends who thought it was okay. I was surprised I didn't have alcohol poisoning or whatever it was. Boy, that next day was not a fun day for me. To this day, <laughs> I don't even come near that kind of alcohol. It'll turn my stomach. We need to understand we need to be separate from the world, and that's what Paul is saying here. And then Paul says, also, notice he says in verse 7, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 7, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Hmm. Filthiness of the spirit. This are more of those hidden sins like gossip, slander, vanity, pride, conceit, covetousness, things we don't see out in the open, the things that are, we do in secret. We have to be careful, my brothers and sisters, not to look at another believer and be judgmental about, uh, on them. Listen, if they're walking in sin, it's our responsibility to correct them in that. But if they're doing something that you just don't do and you talk about them or gossip about them, it's just as bad as any other fleshly sin that we commit. You know? I mean, Jesus said, if you even have anger towards another person, you're committing murder in your heart. None of us may pull a trigger, but boy, we might be angry with someone. And it's, it, shouldn't be in the, it shouldn't be in the church. Jesus says, purify yourselves. Be separate. Be different. That's what the Bible said. And then finally, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How do we do this? How do we perfect ourselves in, the, in, the, in, in holiness in the fear of God? Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 says this, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it's an active pursuit. It's an action word. Holiness is something that we practice. We practice holiness and we pursue it, pursuing peace with other people, seeking those opportunities to make things right. Um, you know, it's funny, a couple weeks ago, I shared a message on being that person that takes that first step if someone's wronged you. And... Someone called me and actually asked if I had wronged them or they, wrong, or they had wronged me in some way because our relationship had been strained. I'm like, no, nothing happened, but it, they took the step to ask. And that's pursuing peace. It's looking for those opportunities to make things right with people. And I know we all have relationships with people that are strained and, and difficult, but be that person to make a difference. That's what Paul says or the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, pursue peace with all people. Christ is our righteousness and he's our holiness. And he wants us to pursue those things. And it's a call to holiness in the days that we're living, I think. Because that's what people need to see. People that are walking the walk, not just talking the talk. People that are living the life for Christ. And we can do it by seeing and witnessing the work of the word of God in our lives, right? It says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's how we cleanse ourselves, by letting the word of God wash over us and cleanse us and then walk in that cleansing, walk in that victory and see how God might use you this week to help someone else live a holy life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that we can read verses like don't be unevenly yoked. 
And I know that can be a challenge for us, Lord. The things that we want to do, the things that we feel are right to do. But Lord, help us to understand and know that sometimes we need to resist those things that we feel are right because we know your word says they're wrong. And I pray, Lord, for all of us in this room that we would truly take to heart the reality that individually we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but corporately as a church, you're supposed to dwell here. You're supposed to move in this place. And even as we sing, we, we can sense the presence of your spirit wanting to do a work in us. And so I pray for all of us here this morning that if some of these verses challenged us, Lord, let us realize that as a, a sign that there's some work that needs to be done. That process of sanctification. So continue to use us, Lord. Continue to change us. Help us to renew our minds to the things of God. So fill us to overflow with your presence. Help us to pursue peace and holiness in our lives. We pray, God. We pray for revival. We pray for your work of the Spirit. So help us get out of the way and let you do what you want to do. Help us overcome our traditions and the things that hinder your, your work, Lord. I pray for everyone here this morning. Bless them today. Bless their weekend, bless their week. May all that they do bring glory and honor to you. For it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen.